You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more. Today on our show, I'm talking with Jimmy Raskin. Jimmy, thanks so much for being with me today. Thank you. Pleasure. Jimmy, we're going to talk about your show at uh, Gala Brew Gallery, which is happening now. We're talking on uh, Monday, December 27th. The show is running through February 5th, and it's called Stations of the Last Eccentric. So I'd like to like, just jump into this. Uh-huh. You know, I've, I've been reading what I can of it and seeing what I can, and, um, you know, Stations of the Last Eccentric, of course, sounds a little bit like Stations of the Cross, only... Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, there's, there's, you have, you have a different number of them. Um, we'll get into the content yes. uh, in a bit, but, but, but tell me why that title and, and why that number, because it seems very specific. Well, I'm uh, laughing because uh, that wasn't necessarily the title, um, but you know, we, Miguel and I were speaking about the work and I said, you know, each one is, a, is an, an event, a moment. Um, I called each one, before we named them, I, I named all of them the chosen one. And they would all have the same name. And uh, so we were just thinking that this sounds like the stations of something, you know, like, so yeah, like the, the stations of the cross, um, there's no relation even numerically to it um, other than um, this kind of call for some kind of hint of a spiritual experience perhaps is, is in the title, uh, you know, or some, a place of, of marking the, the importance of this. In fact, I even went to see the stations of, across uh, in Jerusalem and it was just sort of interesting that there was these places where this moment happened and this will be cherished and marked as as divine you know so there's a little bit of that uh, that I pulled in uh, and we just wanted to kind of provoke curiosity with that title uh, is sort of what happened yeah, my my read on it, and, and, and we'll, let's move right into the the content of it. Was the stations mm-hmm. of, of the cross, or, or I guess one way to read them in, in terms of the the life of Jesus is it's also mm-hmm. about uh, an evolution of of mind of, of his mind or a collective mm-hmm. mind um, how he got from mm-hmm. A to A to Z, so to speak. In in mm-hmm. stations of the last eccentric, where you know there's a repeating. Um, image of a cone and and we're talking about consciousness and uh, mm-hmm. metacognition as as you said right mm-hmm. this this is about mm-hmm. uh, mind in some way and consciousness yeah. itself yes um, and I think unlike the the progression of the stations of the cross you know uh, this is more like each one is already the one station, the resolved state, is the kind of uh, idea. Um, and in that are these, these kind of images, uh, I guess just to let the radio people know, you know, um, they are 
images that were originally generated from a video that was used to create images. Uh, there was these uh, images that were rapidly firing at 4,000 speed, um, and they were made into a mirror image. These were images captured, let's say, by the Hubble telescope or something celestial. And then uh, I would hit the pause bar whenever I saw a face. And that kind of was the result of the symmetry. But you had these kind of faces in uh, these universal images. Um, I overlaid a diagram of a cone on top, which has been part of my work for a while, um, as if that caused the split or the, the, the fold, and that each one was this kind of moment of stillness. So consciousness, I would say more in that kind of idealized pure state of stillness, where there's, the way I call it is like when the meta is replaced by the witness. And so all the layers and backstory of these works, which do have some weight, um, flatten at the moment of seeing a face where there shouldn't be. And uh, this creates a kind of emotional uh, stoppage, you know, like even for a split second. And I love the idea of taking that split second where you're still and expanding it out and you know that's like one of the fantasies of artists that you know a, a work will stop thinking and stop you know conversation and just hold you there with it so there's a little bit of a cliche in this too like that's a kind of almost uh, an eye-rolling sentiment and hope of the work. But I'm kind of taking cliches head-on because of their simplicity and capacity to be critiqued, easily critiqued. And if you find a, you know, so, so that kind of idea um, happened you know, in the work. And, and so... You know, I, I, there's the images in here for, for the listeners so they can see your show and, and a little bit of what you're talking about. To, to go over just what's, what's in the show, um, these are, are works on paper, and, um, yeah. and there's also an artist book. Uh, the mm -hmm. works on paper seem straightforward. As part of the press release, there was also um, a short video. Is that part of the show, or, 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 or what is well, like that video as well, or no? Okay, so, uh, you know, to give people a walkthrough, when you first come into the show, there's these kind of key preface diagrams that are very simple um, uh, black printed paper, 10 by 10 inches-ish, and they're set in a grid, and they kind of take you sequentially from singularity, a dot, to the first duality, then a second duality, and then a third, which is three circles. Um, and I call that the plane of the eccentric. That's when, you know, the, uh, the first duality or notion of other, and then the, the outside of 
practical conversation or relationships for existence becomes this meta plane where we, you know, think about and talk about art and, and all its nuances. So my fantasy is to return back to the singularity. Uh, in many ways, the show is about the fantasy of stopping, of, of the hope that the desire to express uh, disappears, but in a state of absolute fulfillment, of, and filled to the brim with inspiration, but with zero desire to act on it. I kind of meditated on that as a kind of idealized state of a creative being. And then I, I wanted to see what would happen with art out of that meditation that happened. Uh, so you have these diagrams that kind of go, you know, and then they, the proposal I have of how to return back is to, t to flip the circles into a dimensional space and create a cone where you create a vertical line uh, going down past the third duality, past the second, or third, you know, second and first, until you would return, fall back into this, this singularity. Um, and so I kind of created a mechanism for the, for the, I'm calling it a fantasy for some reason, but, um, and then I created these visuals that were all attempts to be the final work. Uh, so there is an audio piece. So you walk in and then you see these nine prints. They're about 26 inches you know, wide, kind of like a very cinematic uh, ratio. And they're very kind of diverse in color. And there's an audio piece that kind of is this voice of a, as if the voice of a documentarian slash poet that's kind of slowly taking you through ideas uh, related to what I just mentioned in the diagrams. Then there's this video. I've created a lot of video work, which you can see some on my website. Um, and these videos um, uh, are not necessarily, you know, in the show, but they're of the show. So you see the invite had a video the website page has a video. I'm going to do a performance type lecture thing January 21st, and I'll present the videos then. It was important to let the works resonate without video. Uh, and then finally, the book uh, has not just, it has many more of these kind of visual stills with the diagram of the cone, but it also includes uh, many uh, cliches that I've actually, most of them I came up with, I call them cliche candidates, you know, in hopes that they become cliches. Uh, which, uh, so there's a little bit of that text, text relationship there in the book that is just kind of sitting on the desk of the gallery. And that, that's that's an artist book. That's an edition, though, that that, that people can buy. Yeah. That's uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah. It's it, it's interesting, you know. In in a, in a way, these are these are ideas that are, of course, visual, but also a little a little mind bending to to 
wrap your you know kind of understanding around when you talk about pure inspiration and you know it's kind of an ideal state and and zero desire to act upon it that would of course seem to you wouldn't be making art then right i mean it's kind no, of right. like um it, it reminds <laughs> me of there was a really odd moment in i don't know if you saw this kind of incredibly long uh get back movie that was a document of the beatles oh uh, fully together. watched it yeah so so there was a moment in there where where Paul McCartney saying, you know, yeah, you know, when we were at the Maharishi, you know, he says, he says, you know, John, you were sitting there looking like a little student, you know, just, you know, and, you know head in your hands, like, like what? What are we going to say? And he said, we should have just, we should have just relaxed and been ourselves. And um, mm-hmm. and George Harrison says, yeah, but if you were just yourselves, which is the point of it all, we wouldn't be doing any of this right now. <laughs> <laughs> which of course John no, no. and Paul look like no. well whatever let's let's move on but but that's the same point isn't it this kind of right. if we have arrived there's no more art making there's no more music it's, no um, there's no yeah everything's been made and uh, in other words or might as well have been made like to experience that level of satisfaction in doing absolutely nothing you know when I first did I never forgot it and it kind of affected and slowed down my art making, you know, for sure. Um, and, you know, a friend of mine said, are you trying to spiritualize the art world? <laughs> I said, whoa, now, you know, uh, you know, like not, I, I, there's, you know, there's a lot, you know, there's, what I love is the loaded terminology. Like, I just love that the closer you get to a concept of enlightenment, the more cliches show up, you know, all is one. But, the, but, but these are also know? art world cliches, yeah. right? The idea of what your friend said, mm-hmm. you're trying to spiritualize the art world. You know, uh, spirituality has been kind of taboo almost in the art world. Oh, yeah. For quite a while. I mean, I mean, some people think it comes from the Since French the Renaissance. Spirit, you know, but... but Right, they're just, yeah. just, just not, you know, the, the idea of even tapping into or talking about Jungian ideas, archetypes, to to what you're talking about, um, pure inspiration, zero desire to act upon it, these are, um, well, you know these are ideas that, of, that we don't see much. Yeah, well, here's what it came out of, is watching, watching art happen so diligently since I was young, you know, in fact, when I was like in high school, I was chosen for some art summer camp, experimental summer camp that was actually held at CalArts for a summer. And, and so ever since I was plopped with those guys, you know, those teachers, uh, you know, the race was on. And you didn't know where to put your inspiration. And, you know, it was a constant kind of pursuit of techniques of display. You know, it was... It was just, it was, you know, and, but there's this pleasure principle in it. You know, I'm a, especially like the works of, let's say, Richard Tuttle, you know, where there's these kind of minimalist collapses that have this kind of humorous, non-ironic, humorous kind of uh, beingness to them, you know, and I, I just, so I had like, I had a lot of, there was a lot of pleasure um, in in the in the anxiety of production, <laughs> but you know, there's a moment when it has to change, you know. And 
I think people get afraid of being spiritualized, for lack of a better term, uh, or they're very kind of fearful of the simplicity of it, you know, because in that simplicity is a stillness, and artists don't, creative beings, professional creative beings, you know, shy from that stillness, they shy from cliches, they do everything they can to avoid these things. And I'm like, well, why don't we just dive right in, <laughs> you know? Um, but I'm careful. It's not like I'm going to become this kind of minimal light artist, you know? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, one sure. could say a lot of the light work from the 60s and 70s had a spiritualized element to it. But it was more conceptual than, I think, feeling uh, that gave it its cultural weight. Um, maybe, you know. Um, so, um, yeah, I'm kind of talking in circles, but, um, you know, I, I think what I was going to say is, uh, you know, I did do this book uh, in 2006 called uh, The Prologue, The Poltergeist, and The Hollow Tree. And this book was posing as philosophy, but you quickly realize it's kind of like the poet pretending to be one, trying to understand his own death. And by that I mean, specifically, there was this idea that in the prologue of Thus Spoke Zarathustra, uh, when the new being, i.e. Zarathustra, emerges with the death of meaning as a kind of driving force, uses a tightrope walker, a flamboyant, clueless, singularly driven tightrope walker <laughs> as the operating metaphor of talking about the overman and the will to power and all this <clears throat> to an audience. And I was fixated on this tightrope walker as the sacrificial poetic performative impulse that the new being appropriates and I kind of did this symbolically this book and it, it postulates that he escapes that this tarp walker spirit who's abandoned in a hollow tree I argued that he became Pinocchio and tried to escape into another story to become a real boy to escape the wrath of appropriation <laughs> so I'm laughing because it was quite the book to write you know filled with diagrams trying to explain phenomenon and all this. But I guess what I'm saying is I'm still kind of like tied up in that idea of watching the being of becoming who's going through the eternal return every moment, becoming exhausted, you know, with having the ability to create all that is because they understand the meaninglessness. And then I realized, though, that happens when you express yourself. You enter that infinity of infinite juxtapositions, you know, indeterminism, all these kind of qualities that affected a lot of us thinking artists in the last 25 years. Um, that, you know, it's when it's expressed that you experience that kind of language, the lies of language. If you don't, 
you kind of have the capacity for a truth, which is also taboo, um, in a stillness, in a still moment. Uh, so that would be, let's say, the midpoint of the tightrope walker when he perishes is the stillness moment. Um, I started working with the cone diagram then when I tried to draw diagrammatically what this tightrope walker looked like as a kind of big cartoon head with a huge cone nose pointing to his fate. You know, so I work with diagrams a lot to try to... Um, to try to encapsulate phenomenon um, that you could feel. Um, I could never say it like I am now, uh, that that was the task, um, but um, I'm a little older now and I'm gaining that little bit of quality of I don't give a fuckness that comes with <laughs> age. <laughs> and um, all I keep hearing, by the way, is, is my girlfriend saying, don't, don't make your answers too long. And I think I did. I guess it was a long one. No, you didn't. I'm, I'm, it's my job to make sure you're answering. Well, you get to edit. You, know, you get to edit. Yeah, I, well, I get to edit, and I don't know that these will be edited that way, but that's, that's part of my job to make sure that, you know, you're, you're, you're staying I on track, sense. and that wasn't too long. <laughs> yeah, you made sense, and that's clear. So, um, so oh, thanks boy, for that. You have your hands full on this one. Um, but um, the self-editor, though, is so interesting in, in art-making. So I'll just tell you a little story, if I may. Yes. Okay. You were hesitant, but I'll take it. Um, no, but it, it was a pivotal moment in the work that kind of shaped why this show happened. So at CalArts, I, I created what I thought would be one of the perfect artworks. I recorded, I had a video recording of myself repeatedly jumping into a corner very like minimal shot you know I was wearing all black but over more and more I would get more gusto and jump like eight feet you know but the audio overlay was me reciting notes on when a poet is a poet and not a poet right so I was just really hitting hard this idea of the poet as the as a role that is first felt before poetry happens, right? So I was very attracted to the notion of the Elan Vital, that's how you pronounce it correctly, Bergson. And so I was kind of going for it, and I, w I really advertised it, right? So it's going to be a crowd there. And my friend, I previewed it just literally like half an hour before to a friend, and he goes, uh, he pointed out that I mispronounced the key word, which was polyphony, which I picked up from Bergson, not Bergson, Bart, when he talked about the rustle of language and polyphony, the many sounds that are not defined, but yet it's meaning happening and dancing. And, and I called it polyphony on accident. And it's sort of like this blaring trumpet, right? <laughs> like... So I'm mispronouncing the very word that's supposed to provoke polyphony is I kind of sabotaged this key term. And I was so freaked out 
that I told the projectionist to mute the audio. I went to my studio, grabbed the, the text that was read for the video, pulled out a podium, and let the video play while I re- recited the audio live doing this just so I can pronounce the word correctly. And it was only afterwards that my colleagues pointed out, like, yo, this is it, you know. This is what, you know, this idea. And I said, well, I'm no, the artwork disappeared. This, you know, the, the reliability of the artwork and the artist being kind of mysteriously behind the art, right? Like, many ways artists like to pretend that the work is just its own life form and, you know, this and that. And that was gone. And I was front and center with the work, but I was also split into two roles. I was the documentarian and then there was the poet. And it's almost like an atom collider, you know. These are the two parts of the whole artist. And I worked that. So I stopped making these kind of flamboyant visual sculptures that I used to make. Um, And, you know, I used to make these huge, crazy glitter, confetti, party supply, lump sculptures that I think were pretty good. And I just was like, nope. And then I started to learn the computer so I could make diagrams. So I just became like, focused on trying to create diagrams that represented this kind of flamboyant poetic impulse before it, it realizes itself. So that split led me to do that book, you know, the, the Zarathustra book, because I assumed the role of documentarian speaking on behalf of the poet, who's very restless, you know, and I would do lectures, performances a lot. Um, I did them at Thread Waxing Space in the 90s, uh, Cooper Union in the Great Hall. Um, I did the Pompidou Center, a lot of lectures where basically the documentarian is overtaken by the poet and the thing collapses. Uh, To really set that in motion, the last three lectures, um, the podium was fake. The podium was made out of Look, made to look like wood and thick, but it was really thin cardboard. And I would come out and trip slapstick style, crash into the podium, which was filled with confetti. And that's how my performances began. So in other words, I just kind of went right in with the poet documentarian kind of making himself present, you know. Um, like this is what the lecture is going to be about. Or you may not... Want to, you may not have to listen to what you're about to listen to. You know, like. So where we are now is, uh, I told Miguel, you know, and I, I work slower than the other artists, I think. I've, it's been a few years since I had a show. And I said, well, I think the documentarian and the poet, which I called Doc and Pin, P-I-N-N was his nickname, um, have resolved and they're back as a whole artist. I said, but he's not starting over. He's at the end. He's come back on the verge of not needing to express himself anymore. And then he said, what does that look like? And I said, I'll see you in a year, you know. 
And uh, it actually was during COVID, so obviously all our lives changed a few years ago. And I started to do these videos um, where I assumed the role of what I called the last eccentric. So it was no longer the documentarian, but rather this kind of eccentric being who's on the verge of not needing to express and is explaining what it's like to be like that right before he disappears. And, you know, this documentarian had, you know, classic glitter-type coat and glitter makeup. And so I did these, these works, and Miguel and I were looking at the videos, and uh, there was a moment when we realized this is some good backstory stuff, but what arose from the narrative, it wasn't just me the whole time. I was just a voice and sometimes I'd appear, but these images of the universe would appear at 4,000 speed, overlaid on the most quiet of diagrams, right? This cone pointing down. And we would, I would just pause and we just started finding faces, you know? And I said that that's it. That's the show. But we got to show this video at some point. You know? So, right. Well, I like so that. That's that, you told that story because that does. So that's the circle. story. It brings it full circle. There's been a critiques of my work made clear to me that there has this. Why does it? There's such a backstory to your work. Like, why can't it just resonate on its own? And I said, coming from conceptual artist, that seems a little ironic to state, but. You know, so I just decided to double down on my story and flatten it, you know, into a kind of simplicity. But there's this energy around the simplicity. So these images are quite kinetic because they're as if it's the last hurrah per image. Um, Each one is a candidate of disappearance, you know. like that. And, yeah, uh, that makes sense. Yeah, that's clear. So, no, I, it's nice that, that 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 you know it's something that that you've clarified pretty well, and it's a difficult thing to clarify. And I'm glad you brought in that, that critique as well, or, or or what could be a critique. Um, I appreciate you talking about all this and going into these stories because I think this was really helpful and and and, and clarifying for this work. I I want to ask you one more question, which is the last question. What are you reading at the moment? I'm always curious what everybody's reading. Or, or... I'm, uh, you know, reading a bunch of things. I could say, for the record, I'm reading a lot less than I used to. Um, but what I'm reading is, is just more and more documentation of stillness, um, you know, uh, of what that, what that means. And I'm not going, you know, necessarily just reading, you know, these kind of Buddhist type texts, not at all, by the way. Uh, but there is a new movement of, uh, of a kind of ascension consciousness critical theory going on. That's kind of, you know, there's this, I'll just, here's what I, I'll say I was reading recently is um, there's this incredible new, theory of consciousness that uh, it's actually quite fascinating. So 
Stuart Hammerhoff is his name. Stuart Hammerhoff, MD, is working with the Nobel Prize winning physicist. Roger Penrose and Hammerhoff came up with this theory of consciousness, which in a nutshell uh, is that that consciousness is actually synthesized from space and time itself. So every time there's a collapse of the waveform in quantum mechanics, Penrose argues that that's a moment of consciousness or self-awareness in the universe. And Hammerhoff, is, Hammerhoff comes from, he's a neuroscientist and anesthesiologist who pursued it from the macro down to the micro, but he was stuck. He didn't know. There's these things called microtubulins, which are inside the neurons of the brain, and there's just an unreal amount of them. And each one kind of osculates and synthesizes supposedly these quantum events, turning what would sound like an orchestra warming up into music. And I can't get enough of it. You know? That's interesting. I'm glad you shared that. I, I just want to thank you for, for talking to me today. It's been great talking to you about this and wish you well with your show and encourage the listeners who are hearing this before it ends to go see it or just to check out the work online. Jimmy, thanks a lot for your time today. Thank you. You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more.